It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are wrapping up day number one of the NFL Draft with the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. Of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. And from Coast to Coast Scouting, our friend, Mr. Clayton Smarslock. So guys, we're going to go through the draft bit by bit, but really... The big story here for the Jets is what happened at number 11. There were all these smoke screens, especially the day before the draft, where there was word that the Dolphins may actually be looking to go offensive tackle, maybe jump the Giants to get the guy that they wanted. Then there was talk that there could be an early run on offensive tackles. Maybe a trade was going to be necessary. I thought that the Jets should have a deal in place to jump up if they needed to because I didn't want them to miss out on one of these tackles. It turns out that apparently Joe Douglas was working on a deal like that. He mentioned in the press conference after the pick, and I'll let you get to this in a second, Chris, that he had worked on some deals. Apparently, from what you hear, he was looking at maybe going up to around 7 or 8. Thankfully, he didn't need to do that, and the way this played out was perfect for the Jets. By the way, the Dolphins were smokescreening everybody the whole way, and you had to know it because they have been in love with Tua Tagovailoa for two years. The fact that they were just going to let him go and not pick him after that infatuation just seemed ridiculous to me. And so he ends up getting picked, and the board fell perfectly for the Jets to the point where when they were on the board at 11, they actually had their choice of two of the four tackles and surprised some people. Tristan Wirfs from Iowa was on the board at 11, along with Makai Becton from Louisville. A lot of people thought that Wirfs was going to be the guy. There was talk that Wirfs was number one on their board as far as tackles went. And instead, Joe Douglas goes and picks Makai Becton at number 11. I think there are a couple of reasons why Wirfs slid a little bit and why perhaps the Jets chose Becton over Wirfs, in addition to Becton himself. But a couple of things that I've been hearing over the last couple of days, there are a number of teams apparently that view Wirfs as a guard as opposed to a tackle. There are also a number of teams that don't see him moving from the right side to the left side. So if you put those two things together, perhaps Makai Becton was a better fit, especially if Joe Douglas viewed Tristan Wirfs as a guard. But I do have to say this. The praise that Makai Becton has gotten from some really reputable people is absolutely incredible. I want to read you something that Stephen White, who actually used to play for the Jets and spent most of his career with the Tampa Bay Bucks, said after breaking down several games of Becton's film, 
And then I want to read you something that Joe Thomas said as well. But here's what Stephen White had to say. And I can't impress upon you enough the fact that you need to go and read his entire film breakdown straight through over at SB Nation. He wrote, as I sat here watching with my mouth open in amazement, I kept thinking I don't ever remember seeing an offensive lineman just completely obliterate opposition on such a regular basis since I've been doing film breakdowns. Mind you, there were four games that I watched and they were all against top-notch competition, including the Clemson Tigers, who were the defending national champions at the time. Notice I'm not saying that Makai Becton is the best offensive lineman I've ever seen. He still has some work to do technique-wise, but for now, I'm talking about physically driving Division I football players off the ball and down the field every single one of the games that I watched. This guy was consistently knocking edge players off the ball with just his initial punch with arms over 35.5 inches long. And then it finally came to me who Becton reminded me of, at least based on gossip, Hall of Fame left tackle Willie Rofe, who, by the way, Clayton, I know you're a little younger than Chris and I. Willie Rofe is probably the best tackle of the last 30 years. He continues, as far as I can tell, I never actually watched Rofe's Louisiana Tech tape. However, the game he had against a stacked Alabama team that ended up winning the national championship in 1992 became a thing of legend. That Crimson Tide team had two standout defensive linemen in John Copeland and Eric Curry. By the way, both of those guys went in the first round of that draft that year. I actually Googled to make sure I wasn't remembering this wrong, and sure enough, there are a bunch of articles about how Rofe kicked both of their asses single-handedly on that day, driving himself up the draft boards. To put this into context, just ask yourself, when has any other offensive lineman ever had a game so memorable that people could recall it almost 30 years later? Becton didn't quite have a game that outstanding of the four that I watched, but what I did see him do, the way I watched cats just go flying backward on contact, was also the stuff people will be remembering and talking about for years to come. Now here's future Hall of Fame offensive tackle Joe Thomas, who had Becton as his number one offensive tackle in the class. He says, pros, size, athleticism, run blocking in the wide zone scheme, Ankle and hip mobility, suddenness, cons can get tired, lack of experience, pass blocking, not a lot of tape, lack of technique, pass blocking. He continues, I still have him as number one, though, because of his ceiling, and I don't see anything that a great offensive line coach can't correct. And I think that's right, because there seems to have been this narrative over the last couple of days, weeks, and months that Mackay Becton has this sky-high ceiling and this incredibly low floor. The way that people would talk about it, you would think his floor was Wayne Hunter, and that's ridiculous because if you watch his tape, to me, I think his floor is more along the lines of somebody like a jumbo-sized Kelvin Beecham. Now, different style tackles, but the point I'm making is Beecham has been a decent, serviceable tackle in the NFL. I think worst-case scenario if Becton doesn't fix his technique at all, that's what you would be getting. I don't think that's the worst floor in the world. And then when you talk about what Joe Blewett had to say, and all due respect to Joe, I wouldn't quite put him on the level of Stephen White or certainly Joe Thomas, but 
his words carry weight as well. He said on this podcast and reiterated it again on Twitter that if Makai Becton can get to even an average technique level, he is going to be an all-world player and potentially extremely dominant. Now, a lot of this is going to depend on the coaching. We'll see what Frank Pollock does. But as Stephen White said in that article that I was reading from, if you've got an offensive line coach that can't get Becton to the level that he needs to be at, then you need to fire that offensive line coach and get somebody else. So I'm thrilled with this pick. I was in on Becton very early. You guys both know that. I was talking about Becton as early as January, and then he started to turn some heads when Daniel Jeremiah, who, by the way, also had Becton as his number one tackle on the board, he had him at number four in his mock draft. Clay, when you were down in Mobile, and it turned a lot of heads and started to put him on some radars. And I think a lot of people are going to say that Makai Becton was a late riser or a workout warrior. He's neither of those two things. All the workouts really did was confirm what people had seen on tape in terms of his physical dominance. And I don't think he was a late riser. I just think he's somebody that went to Louisville, kind of flew under the radar. But once people really started to look at his tape, they saw the makings of a potential dominant offensive lineman the same way that Daniel Jeremiah did, Stephen White, Joe Thomas, Joe Blewett, and many others. So like I said, couldn't be more thrilled with this pick. So happy that the Jets ended up getting an offensive lineman here. And apparently the plan was it was always going to be an offensive lineman. They were never going to go wide receiver. That was all a smokescreen. The backup plan was if one of those four tackles didn't follow them or they weren't able to make a trade up to secure one, they were going to trade down and pick up extra picks. They were never going to take CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, or Henry Ruggs. So guys, I want to get your reactions. Chris, I'm going to start with you. First, what did you think of the pick? And then take us through the press conference where Makai Becton and Joe Douglas address the media. All right. So first, uh, yes, you, uh, I remember, I don't remember when it was, but when you said, uh, you, I remember you sent me a text being like, have you seen this guy? And I was like, I haven't paid attention to Louisville since Lamar Jackson left. <laughs> um, so no, I haven't seen, seen him. And then I looked and I was like, Oh my God, how is, how is this humanly possible? Like this, the way he moves, it, it defies the laws of nature of our universe. It shouldn't be allowed <laughs> somebody that size to move. And like, you know, there's all the talk about his 40 running the five, four or the five, one 40 at his two, 363 pounds. But it's not even just that go watch that 40. I saw it again, replayed on Twitter it's so effortless. He's just, he doesn't even look like he's like really like a hammer into full out sprint. He's just cruising. Um, he, uh, the, you mentioned the Stephen White article as you were doing that. I tweeted that out. So if you're looking for that, go to my Twitter and you can see that now. Um, the, one thing you mentioned about, you know, people talking about his low floor and, you know, kind of painting him as a project. And I wrote this in my article about him. Like, yeah, he might have the lowest floor out of the top four guys. Um, but it's – it's I wouldn't call him a project. That's uh, – he's got too – he's too big, athletic, fast. He's got way too much length to be called a project. That alone should be enough to make him a solid uh, player, uh, offensive lineman in this league. And, yeah, he has a lot of technique stuff he has to clean up. Uh, but, again, what offensive linemen coming out of college doesn't – they they all have some things they need to work on. Um, but his frame and his uh, length 
is going to buy him so much time or buy him so much that will cover up for some of that technique. So you mentioned what Joe Blewett said. If he can just be average on that, then it's going to go carry so much further than for most people because of all that. Um, and just the way he moves, the power, the way the uh, physicality he brings. He said in the press conference, uh, you know, he loves running over people, pinning them to the ground and getting on top of them. The exact phrasing, go ahead and look into it. It was a little, uh, watch yourself. He was getting a little horny online there on us. <laughs> um, and the, just the way it was, it's kind of similar to a couple things Quinnen did last year in training camp, remember? Um, just like, oh, okay, maybe you shouldn't have said it quite that way. Um, Joe Douglas said that the, the 40 time was certainly eye-opening. Uh, Rex Hogan said that, you know, he moves people around like furniture. Uh nasty uh, a defender or a blocker and against the run and they just love his potential i i said it like his ceiling is in another universe uh he's got otherworldly potential here and that's what all these people are falling in love with and we've seen this a lot in the nfl where people fall in love with potential and get too caught up in it but i don't think that's the case here just because what we've seen is enough knowing his size and his length and his athleticism that he, he's got a, a strong enough baseline that he's going to be solid. Um, and if he can put it all together, we could be talking like <clears throat> all-timer type stuff here. Uh, I don't typically want to say that right as a draft. I don't want to get you know accused of just pumping up the draft pick, but I really, truly believe it with him. There were other of these offensive linemen might have been a little bit safer, but he's got the highest ceiling of the bunch. And I, like I said, I think it's uh, it would be unfair to paint him as a project. He's got too much good going for him right off the bat to say that he's a project, in my opinion. I think Becton can certainly start day one, and I expect that he will. It is interesting, though, that he ended up going over Tristan Wirfs, and I think that Part of what is interesting about it is the fact that Joe Douglas worked everybody. And when I say worked, I'm talking about it in the classical pro wrestling sense. There was a lot of misinformation out there about the Jets supposedly loving CeeDee Lamb and Henry Ruggs and how Tristan Wirfs was the apple of their eye if they were to get their hands on an offensive tackle. Turns out the Jets had the opportunity to get Wirfs. And like Becton better. So I like the fact that Joe Douglas kept people guessing and that he kept it close to the vest. I think most people realize that he did want an offensive tackle, but he did the best that he could to run misdirection plays and to put out misinformation. And so that way people wouldn't really know exactly what he was trying to do. But I like the fact that he looked into trying to get up there and secure one of these tackles if he had to trade up. Turns out he didn't need to. Got the guy he wanted at 11. Now, we don't know if he had Wills and Thomas ranked ahead of Becton. We do know that he obviously had Becton ranked ahead of Tristan Wirfs. And I know, Clayton, you love Wirfs. I'm a big Wirfs guy myself. I would have been fine with either one of them. I like both of them. I think they're both going to be excellent. Talk to me about your overall thoughts on this. I know that if you had been making the pick, it would have been worse. But what do you think overall about what Joe Douglas and the Jets did on night number one? No, I mean, you're right. I, I would have taken worse. He was my number one tackle, and Mekhi Beckman was my number four tackle. But I, I'm, I'm watching the draft with my friends, and I told them like straight up, I'm like, 
if they take Beckton over Wirfs, I'm not going to be upset. Like, I think Beckton is still a very good player, and his ceiling is <laughs> absolutely through the roof. You see some of these names that are being thrown around with Mackay Beckton and, like, what his potential can be. You see Willie Rofe. You see Jonathan Ogden. You see uh, Bryant McKinney. You see some of these great offensive tackles from the past 20, 30 years. And if if he could become – 80% of that, I mean, this is an absolute steal. Yeah, so if he can be 80% of those uh, of those guys, that's an absolute steal for the New York Jets. I mean, I, I know that Sam Darnold's going to be happy. He, he doesn't have to worry about George Fant protecting his blind side. I know Le'Veon Bell is going to be so excited because he doesn't have to worry about not having good run defenders because Mekhi Beckton can do that. Uh, I don't – I, I agree with you guys. I don't want people getting the misconception that Beckton is a project by any means because he's he's not a project. He just has a lower floor than three really <laughs> three really good offensive tackles. So I, I don't want that to get like anyone to get misconstrued in that. Mackay Beckton will be a good player. He will be a plug and play left tackle for the New York Jets, and that's why they drafted him over Tristan Wirfs. Who knows? Maybe they did think that Wirfs would be a guard at the next level. I I think he'll be a hell of a uh, an offensive tackle, but that remains to be seen. But at the end of the day, I'm so excited with this pick. I can't wait to just start watching highlights. I don't have to break down film anymore. I just have to, I just want to watch highlights of Mekhi Beckton just throwing these guys around like they're, like they're dolls. Like it, it's, I'm so excited. I can't, I just can't wait for this. To, I can't wait for him to be in green and white. They're going to have to get him a quadruple XL uniform as well. One thing that a lot of people have talked about is his weight, and there's some concern there. Some people wonder if he's going to be able to keep his weight down. Apparently, according to him, he's 363 right now. During the season, he played at something around 370, 375. If he can get down to between 350 and 360, he's going to be fine, and I see no reason why he won't be able to do that. We should talk about this drug test story, too, because... We don't really know what happened there. So there are people that are saying, how could you take this guy with the red flags, with his size and the drug test? We have no idea what happened with this drug test. And Chris, as you were saying before we started recording, the whole thing seems kind of weird and fishy, the way that story came out. But as we've seen many times, he could have taken a supplement that he didn't know about. There could have been any kind of reason why this would have happened. We have no idea what it is, so people shouldn't speculate. And obviously, if Joe Douglas drafted him at number 11, it's nothing that he was concerned about. So I wouldn't really be worried about that. I talked to Cameron Teague Robinson from the Courier-Journal on the show, and if you didn't get a chance to hear that show or the X and O Quick Hits breakdown of Becton's film with Joe Blewett, you should go back into the archives and listen. And as I said, Cameron is going to come back on the show, but... I think that he laid out really well Makai Becton's character. Coaches love him. Teammates love him. The community loved him. He was larger than life in Louisville. Everybody came out for this guy almost like he was a quarterback. I didn't hear anything from digging into his background that would make me nervous about it. These coaches and general managers and executives would have more information than I would. And if they picked him at 11, I have to assume that they're comfortable with what they found. I'm going to dig into this a little bit more when Cameron comes back on the show. But Chris, would you say that's fairly accurate? Yeah. And listen, this, this is just a me thing. I hear about a player testing positive for marijuana and I, I could care 
I couldn't care less. I immediately dismiss it. Is that what it was though, Chris? Do we even know that? Well, no, we don't. But that's how that's how it was first presented. Uh, I, at least what I saw, and I was just like, all right, well, whatever. Um, unless it, you know, it rises to a, a a Josh Gordon level where it's just constant failing of tests. I'm not gonna care. Um, but so like, I didn't even bother digging into it is my point. But as soon as that came out, it was weird to see like a bunch of other people coming tweeting that were immediately like, yeah, this might not mean anything. Um, like I, I think like immediately after I saw a rap sheet, a rap report tweet something out like that along those lines, like, yeah, you know, he didn't have any beforehand in college. It was a combine. It seemed like, you know, maybe a diluted sample. You know, maybe he just drank too much water before he had to take uh, the test. Um, but it just seemed, as soon as I started seeing people come out right away, and it's not like it wasn't people who would normally come to defend somebody for a failed drug test, too. So it made me be like, all right, I should dismiss this even uh, more. So uh, it's not that's not anything no matter what it is that's not anything that's gonna uh bother me um you know if in your digging or in a, somebody else is gonna go and dig for this i'll let other people do the legwork on it um and, and something comes up then uh, we'll have to address it then but right now it's not even something i'm concerned about um as far as his weight he said uh he, he weighs 363 now his ideal, his plan, and ideal playing weight, he wants to get between three fifty and three fifty five. Um, you know, you would think somebody that naturally big isn't taking any type of uh, steroid to get bigger, but who knows? Um, there could be something like that too. But again, uh, that's not going to concern me. Um, and just the way that everything happened immediately afterward with the people coming to be like, yeah, this doesn't mean what you think it means. It's, it's kind of the impression I got from what everybody was saying. So uh, I'll let you guys do that digging on that, but it's not something that I'm even remotely concerned about right now. Should also mention, in terms of Becton's size, this is a guy that was able to carry that weight very comfortably. There's video of him dunking basketballs, going on fast breaks. You've seen what he's done on the football field carrying that kind of weight. He's just a naturally massive man. The guy that I would compare him to in terms of frame is Bob Sapp. If you remember him, he used to play in the NFL, and then he went on to a career in mixed martial arts. Just a big, giant man who is able to carry a ton of weight and still maintain the strength and the speed and the athleticism and the agility. So I'm not super worried about it. As long as he doesn't balloon up to 400 pounds, he'll be fine, and I see no reason why that would happen. He's, by all accounts, a really good kid, easily coachable, and he doesn't seem like somebody who's going to cause any kind of problem in that way. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. 
They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Let's go through the rest of the first round, guys, because the Jets have an important day two ahead of them. Early on, no surprises. Joe Burrow, number one to the Bengals. Absolutely what everybody knew was going to happen for months. Chase Young, number two to the Redskins. Same thing, no brainer. At number three, a little bit of a surprise. Not the pick, but the fact that the Lions didn't trade down. And that pick was Jeff Okuda, the cornerback from Ohio State. I'd said this many times. Okuda and Chase Young were the only two defensive players that I absolutely would have picked at number 11 if they had made it there. Didn't expect either one to make it there. Neither one came even close. With this one, the rumors for a long time was that the Dolphins or the Chargers were going to jump up to three and try to get the quarterback that they wanted. But in the end, both teams decided to stay where they were and get a quarterback. Are you guys surprised at all, Clayton? I'll start with you, that the Lions didn't move and they just sat at three and took the guy that they wanted and didn't get out of that spot and pick up extra picks? Yeah, I was actually pretty surprised about that. I thought it was like a foregone conclusion um, heading into the draft. But who knows, maybe Miami just wanted to kind of keep the cards close to the vest and be like, no, like we don't want to trade it for Tua. Like we're not comfortable with his medicals or whatever it may be. And we're, we're going to be fine sitting at five and same thing with the chargers. They're, maybe they're just kind of hoping that their guy would fall to them without having to give up anything just to move up. So it might not be on the lines, but more so on the other teams, just kind of, I don't know, just playing games, I guess. Um, you, you just never know in the NFL draft, but I was surprised with, uh, with them staying uh, staying pat, but the pick itself and Jeffrey Kuda, not surprising whatsoever. He was the best player on the board. Uh, after trading Darius Slay, they needed to go cornerback, and Akuda's 
He's he's the best cornerback I've I've uh, scouted since Marshawn Lattimore in 2017. And then at number four, the Giants throw a little bit of a curveball. We weren't sure if they were going to go with Isaiah Simmons here or an offensive tackle. And if they did go offensive tackle, we thought maybe it was going to be Wills or Wirfs. Instead, it ends up being Andrew Thomas, which seems like a very un-Dave Gettleman-like pick. And in fact, the buzz coming out of this is that Gettleman wanted Wirfs, but was talked into Thomas by the coaching staff. Andrew Thomas is a steady Eddie. I love what Connor Rogers said about him. I believe he referred to him as a Honda Civic. He's going to get you 200,000 miles. He's never going to be the flashiest car in the lot. And in this case, he's not going to be the best of these four tackles, most likely. He's not going to be an elite player. But he's going to be a very good player that you can put there left tackle for the next 10 years and not have to worry about it. So you're not going for the upside with Wills. Worfs or Becton, but you're getting the very reliable player that you should be able to plug in there to protect Daniel Jones. Chris, very surprising for Dave Gettleman, but I think it was a solid pick. Yeah, I actually wasn't surprised uh, at all about going offensive line there. I was, I thought they would have gone Wills, um, but Thomas, uh, Thomas actually, it, it doesn't surprise me that Gettleman went there. Um, he he does like as he loves to to use the phrase the big hog mo- hog hog mollies so that doesn't that doesn't surprise me but you know that was I I kept saying like the Giants you're gonna have to look for them I I thought the Chargers or another team you might have to look at at tackle so I you know that was saw the Giants go there and I was like oh maybe maybe this isn't gonna happen for the Jets and then the Chargers went with Herbert. Herbert, I was like, okay, maybe there's a chance. Um, but the the Giants ma- it made sense there. I, I would have gone Wills. I thought that that's what they would have done. Uh, I probably would have gone worse too ahead of him. But it, it, that's that makes sense, especially, you know, they, they got Saquon. They drafted Daniel Jones last year. Um, they they needed some help on that offensive line. They, they, they have need a lot of help for defense. But just like I've been saying about how the Jets, their main priority is to help Darnold, the Giants' main priority should be to help their second-year quarterback as well. And then at number five and number six, quarterbacks went off the board. This is what everybody had been talking about for a while. Some people tried to outthink themselves here. You had the rumors that the Dolphins were going to take a tackle instead. The Dolphins took the apple of their eye to a Tagovailoa, who, as I mentioned earlier, they have loved for the past two years. In fact, there was a slogan going around in Miami, tank for Tua, before last season began. So I had a feeling that if they sat at 5 and Tua was there, despite all the rumors, there was no way they weren't going to take him. Justin Herbert stays on the West Coast. He goes to the Chargers. I mentioned this with Manish on the podcast yesterday, but let's be honest, no one cares about the Chargers. They need something to inject a little bit of excitement. So if they liked Herbert, that was a good move for them. I'm not a huge Herbert fan, but this is something that made a lot of sense. All they had is Tyrod Taylor, who everybody knows is not going to be a long-term option there. And so now you've got a guy who can come in, and even if he doesn't start day one, he starts pretty close to day one. I would expect him to be starting at least at some point during the upcoming season. So guys, what did you think? Were you surprised at all, Clayton, that Tua ended up going to the Dolphins like we thought all along and that Herbert ended up going to the Chargers like we thought for the last month or two? No, I wouldn't say surprised. Uh, I mean, I 
did, I guess I kind of bought into the smokescreen that was the Dolphins possibly taking Herbert or taking it off the tackle and then moving back up to take his quarterback. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not surprised uh, at all. Uh, it's, it was the right pick to a, if healthy deserves to be a top 10 pick. And I think with the comparison that he's been getting with Drew Brees and what they went through with that whole Drew Brees situation back in 2006, they weren't going to make that mistake again. So I felt like this was just the perfect opportunity to kind of, uh, to kind of fix it in a sense, and uh, it, it turned. It, it, I think it's going to turn out to be a good pick for them. Then it's seven, eight, nine, three defensive players in a row. Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from Auburn, goes to Matt Rule in the Carolina Panthers. Isaiah Simmons at number eight to Cliff Kingsbury. A little bit of a curveball there. A lot of people expected Kingsbury to go offense, particularly an offensive lineman, but instead the Cardinals take Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker slash safety from Clemson. And at number nine, C.J. Henderson stays in the state of Florida. He goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars to play corner and replace Jalen Ramsey. There was a lot of talk that those three picks could end up getting traded, particularly that the Jaguars could trade down with the Falcons, who apparently really wanted C.J. Henderson. In the end, none of that happened. But I thought this was really interesting, Chris. With the Panthers, what they really needed was a defensive presence who could help them stop the run because they just got decimated by the run last year. Derek Brown comes in and does that, and it matches the fact that he was arguably the best player on the board for a lot of people at that point, so it's not like they had to reach for him. So I think this is one of those cases where need and value really came together for the Panthers. Same thing with the Cardinals. I know that everybody talked about getting an offensive lineman or even getting a little sexy with CeeDee Lamb, who is one of the best friends of Kyler Murray, the quarterback of the Cardinals, and we know that Cliff Kingsbury loves his weapons, but... In the end, Kingsbury needed a defensive playmaker. This is a guy that got fired from Texas Tech because his teams just couldn't stop anybody. He loaded up so much on offense that the defense just gave up a million points and he couldn't win games. So with Isaiah Simmons, he goes in the opposite direction and maybe he's learned a little something from his mishaps at Texas Tech. And then at number nine, the Jaguars. Look, C.J. Henderson, good player. I don't know that I would have taken him at number nine. Might be a little bit high, but he's somebody that can come in, start right away, take the place of Jalen Ramsey. He's staying in the state of Florida. And so in a lot of ways, that makes a lot of sense too. And as we know, cornerback, a premium position. So what do you think of those three defensive players all in a row, Chris? Did it make sense to you? Yeah, they, they all make sense. Uh, Derek Brown seemed like you know one of the safer um in, in the mock drafts like you could just go ahead and, and write that name in there it just made too much sense like you said the they couldn't stop anybody on the run game last year uh so they needed to go out and do something to address that they could have gone offensive line to even getting a, a coon he's he's older um, they they could have gone in a lot of directions, actually. They could have gone with Isaiah Simmons, too. Uh, but they really, really needed to address that uh, run defense, which if you have an average run defense is whatever in today's NFL, but you have uh, just an absolute sieve of a run defense, you have to get that fixed. Uh, so that made all the sense in the world. Isaiah Simmons makes perfect sense too for that defense. They need the playmaker like that, but I'm not. I was a little bit surprised that uh, 
they didn't go with an offensive tackle there. I thought Werfs would have been perfect. Um, it wouldn't have mattered for the Jets because they would have taken Werfs, and the Browns still would have taken Jedrick Willis, and that would have left Makai Becton there. The only thing is then we would have known that Joe Douglas valued Becton over Werfs. Um, the C.J. Henderson, I'm, I agree with you too. I, I probably wouldn't have gone that direction if I was them. Um, but it makes sense. Uh, it, I'm not, you know, sitting here knocking C.J. Henderson. I think he, he has a lot to offer, so it makes sense. A little higher than I would have liked to get him, but it makes all the sense in the world. Um, so those three defensive players go right off the board. Uh, but, yeah, it was that Herbert pick that let me know that, okay, they got a shot at these offensive linemen, and then by the time the Arizona passed, you knew they were getting one of them especially once uh, Jacksonville actually made the pick because that's that was one of the spots where I was looking, thinking, okay, they they could trade out of that spot to a team like Tampa looking to trade up to get one. Then at number 10, the Cleveland Browns end up picking an offensive tackle, and this was the point after Henderson was picked that Clayton was texting me saying, oh, my God, they're going to get Wills or Wirfs. They're going to get Wills or Wirfs. They didn't get Wills or Wirfs, but they had the opportunity to get one of the two of them. Jedrick Wills going at number 10 to the Browns. This is interesting because I guess this means that the Browns are planning on using him at the left tackle spot because they did just go ahead and make a move to sign Jack Conklin to a big contract to play right tackle. What this also means to me is that unless there's something I'm not seeing, Trent Williams is not getting traded to the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to think so now. And uh, This is another thing I was talking about with some buddies and that they they couldn't just take another position just because, like, oh, we might get Trent Williams. Like, If he's not under contract, if you haven't agreed to a trade, you take that tackle because there's no guarantee that a trade ever gets done. Jedrick Wills, he's arguably the best tackle in this class. Um, and same case can be made for all four of them. But I think even though he did play right tackle at uh, Alabama, I think there will be no issue transitioning to the left tackle position in the NFL. And remember, he was playing right tackle, but he was still playing. Like, he was still the blindside protector for Tua since Tua was a lefty. So he'll be used to that. I think he's going to a good situation. He's obviously got some good, uh, some other good offensive linemen around him. I think having Conklin on the other side will be really helpful. I think the Browns made a really solid pick here. Then after the Browns, as we know, Makai Becton goes to the Jets at number 11. And the first wide receiver comes off the board. Everybody was wondering, would it be Jerry Judy? Would it be CeeDee Lamb? Guess what? It was neither one of them. It was Henry Ruggs, who goes to the Raiders at number 12. Chris, you may recall that a couple of months ago I said to you, I'm not guaranteeing it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ruggs is the first wide receiver off of the board because of his speed and that is what happened here. The Raiders get themselves a home run hitter, and Henry Ruggs ends up playing for John Gruden. This is going to be an interesting match. But listen, I like all three of these wide receivers. It's sort of a matter of which skill set you prefer. They wanted the blazer, and that's what they're getting with Ruggs. Yeah, absolutely. I I kept saying and talking to people, in, in no no world would I say Henry Ruggs is better than Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb, and I would not rank them there. And for the Jets, I would have absolutely not taken Ruggs over Lamb or Judy. But for certain teams, um, I could I would see why they would prefer Ruggs if they think if this team thinks they're just a deep threat away. I could see it. 
if that team happens to be the Raiders and the ghost of Al Davis is apparently making the pick, then yes, of course, the only logical choice is Henry Ruggs there. Um, I Again, uh, Judy and C.D. Lamb far better in my opinion, but it makes sense for them to go ahead and, and get him knowing the Raiders and what they like. Um, I don't think he's the greatest fit for Derek Carr, but I don't expect Derek Carr to be there past this year. So uh, that that pretty much is how that goes. It, like I said, it's, it's the ghost of Al Davis. Can't be surprised by that. Then at number 13, the first trade of the night, believe it or not, was the Buccaneers jumping up one spot from 14 to 13. We all had a feeling what this was going to be, and it was Tristan Wirfs. So now you plug Tristan Wirfs in, presumably on that right side of tackle. You've got Donovan Smith on the left side. You've got Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen on the interior. That's a really good offensive line. Gronk is back out of retirement. Godwin and Evans at wide receiver, not to mention Cameron Brait as well. This is going to be a nasty offense for Tom Brady. Bruce Arians has got to be licking his chops, getting himself Tristan Wirfs, and I'm sure that Tom Brady is going to sleep very well tonight, right, Clayton? Yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate. I was kind of hoping that like, Tristan Wirfs wouldn't be playing with Tom Brady, but Bruce Arians, like you said, he's got to be licking his chops. I mean, this it's a fantastic pick. They're doing everything they can to be a win-now organization with this last one or two years with Tom Brady. Outstanding pick, great value, being the last tackle off the board at 13. And then at number 14, the San Francisco 49ers, who traded back a spot, did something very interesting. They went with Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Derek Brown, I think, was the better prospect now, but with Kinlaw, he's got more upside. And this was the pick that they had gotten in exchange for trading DeForest Buckner to the Colts. So essentially what they did was they went out and got themselves what they view as a younger, cheaper model of DeForest Buckner. Now, I'm a huge Buckner fan. I think he's one of the best defensive players in the league. And I would love to have him. But obviously the blessing and curse of being a good team is that you can't pay everybody. And that's what happened for the 49ers. So what they did is they went out and they got a guy that was six years younger and is going to make a fraction of the price of what you're going to have to pay to Forrest Buckner. And you're going to get him cheaply over the next five years. So this is interesting. If you like Kinlaw, this move makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people thought that they were going to go wide receiver here because they do need a game breaker. But if you're a believer in Kinlaw, you're just plugging him right in there next to Armstead. And that defense with Bosa and Ford continues to chug along. Right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. As soon as they made that trade, I I was told and heard that, you know, they wanted to save the money on Buckner is basically what it was. Uh, they knew that if they got rid of Buckner and they didn't find some type of replacement for him, that that is going to, you know, kind of hamper their defensive line, the great defensive line that they had last year. Um, they resigned Armstead. They still have a Bosa. But without the Forrest Buckner clogging up that middle, opening things up for them, that was going to set them back. So they went after that. Um, you know, they were able to get a receiver later. Uh, but that that seemed to make perfect sense for them. Uh, at the time, I was thinking, uh, hearing Kinlaw or Derek Brown, but then it became quickly obvious that Derek Brown wasn't going to uh, last to them. 
So it makes sense. Uh, I mean, it, you know, he's, he's not going to be DeForest Buckner right off the bat. Um, so they're going to lose a little something by saving that money, but it's something that they probably needed to do. Um, just considering everything they have going on right now. And then Clayton, one of the best bargains of the first round came about, and this was Jerry Judy to the Denver Broncos. Now there had been some talk. The Broncos were looking to move up to grab a wide receiver. They stood pat at 15 and may have gotten themselves the best receiver in this draft. And then AJ Terrell to the Falcons at number 16 was a really interesting pick. I like AJ Terrell, but this just felt like the Falcons needing a corner and sort of reaching here. I feel like Terrell really would have been a better pick toward the end of the first round or even the beginning of the second round. And then CeeDee Lamb at number 17 to the Dallas Cowboys is interesting because this is where I think the Philadelphia Eagles really messed up. They had the opportunity to jump the Dallas Cowboys and grab CeeDee Lamb once he fell because I know the Eagles didn't want to make a move way up the draft board and give up a ton of capital. But once CeeDee Lamb is there at number 16, I think that's a move you have to make and especially when the Cowboys are sitting there and now if you're the Eagles, you have to try to defend CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott, deal with that offensive line and Dak Prescott that is a mission from hell. They could have avoided that and given themselves a first-rate target for Carson Wentz for the next decade by jumping up a few spots and grabbing Lamb. Instead, they let him go to the Cowboys. I think that was a huge strategical error by Howie Roseman here. But let's talk about this. Jerry Judy, A.J. Terrell, CeeDee Lamb. Interesting set of picks here, but I think the Broncos and Cowboys did really well for themselves. I'm not a proponent of picking a wide receiver as high as 11, but to get Judy and Lamb at 15 and 17, that to me is terrific. And A.J. Terrell, I like him, good player, but I think 16 is a little high. What do you think, Clayton? Yeah, I mean, you got you got bargain, reach bargain in those three picks. I mean, I really like Judy and Lamb. Uh, Judy was my number three. I made a late change. Judy was my number three receiver, uh, literally right behind Ruggs on my big board, and then Lamb was my number one guy. Uh <clears throat> Starting with the Broncos, I think they got a really good compliment to Cortland Sutton on the opposite side now. Drew Locke is going to be – he's going to be so excited to have these two receivers, not to mention having uh, – um, sorry, I'm drawing a blank – Hamilton, Deshaun Hamilton uh, as the slot receiver. And then for the Cowboys, you already have Amari Cooper. You already have Michael Gallup. And now you're adding C.D. Lamb to the mix. If Dak Prescott does not become – like a top five quarterback with this offense, <laughs> I think there's going to be something really wrong. He has, there's no excuses. As, as long as CD Lamb is the CD Lamb that we all expect, there should be no excuses. This offense is loaded, even if, even after losing Travis Frederick. I love the pick for them. I do, just from like a football, uh, football fan's perspective, I do wish that the Eagles did make that move up though, because that the 16 would have been the sweet spot. You get in front of your you get in front of your rival, so you're kind of you're adding to your own team and you're taking away from another team. And also for the Falcons, it would have made so much more sense to trade back and then take Terrell at 21. That's much better value, and you're also getting extra draft capital. So I feel like that was just a trade that should have happened that for some reason didn't, and it kind of hurt a couple teams in the process. Chris, I want to bring you in on this because everybody knows how much you love Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb. What do you think? The Broncos and Cowboys really made out here, right? Oh, man. I mean, 
Amari Cooper and and CD Lamb and then Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Yeah, I, I'd I'd say they made out. Those that's a strong pairing on both those teams. Um, yeah, I've been very vocal for two years about how I feel about both these receivers. And while I agree I, the Jets shouldn't have taken one of them at 11, I do think they were both worthy of going at 11. And the, the landing, they fell a little further, but the landing spot couldn't have been more perfect for both of them. I, I agree. I, I am a Dak believer, but if, if he can't get it done this year, uh, then that, that's going to tell you all you need to know. Um, and it could make the Cowboys actually look good for just franchising him because if, if they franchise him and give him just this year and he doesn't uh, pull through or show up with that those weapons, then, you know, you're going to have to look elsewhere. But uh, Drew Locke's got to be ecstatic about that. Uh, it's just two great pairings. And for those two receivers, like, they deserve to go to uh, such good situations for them. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch at the next level, and I, I'm just going to sit back and wait. I definitely agree, though. The the Eagles kind of messed up, missed out by not going and trying to do that because this is one of those double whammies. Not only do they not have him, um, I know they got Jalen Rieger. We'll, we'll get to him, but they let uh, Ceedee Lamb go t- to the Cowboys. Um, and they could have gotten one of those two guys too. So uh, they definitely dropped the ball on that. But who knows, maybe they're, uh, you know, not being overly thrilled with Andre Dillard kind of scared them away from wanting to trade up again for somebody. Who knows? But I, I'm definitely excited to watch those two in the next uh, in the NFL. Then a tackle goes off the board at 18, Austin Jackson from USC. I am not a fan of Austin Jackson at all. He got absolutely destroyed by Bradley and I and AJ Epinesa. I don't like his chances at the next level. I just don't think he's strong enough. I don't think he's going to be able to cut it. I think his ceiling is really a bad starter at best. I think he's developmental, and to me, 18 is way too high. Damon Arnett, who I do like a lot, but seems like a bit of a reach for the Vegas Raiders here at number 19. I understand that this is Mike Mayock making this pick, so he's a guy that loves to go with these big school producers. But Arnett, in addition to being a bit of a reach here, has some baggage, so I was really surprised about that. And then the Jaguars, and I think this is solid value. I'm not a huge Caleb on Chase on fan, but at 20, that's not bad. And I guess this means that now you have Chase on on one side and you got Josh Allen on the other. We all knew it was only a matter of time before they traded Yannick and Gakwe, but this was the final nail in the coffin. Clayton, talk to me about this. Austin Jackson, Damon Arnett, Caleb on Chase on, what do you think? So I absolutely love the uh, Austin Jackson pick, but let me get this straight. I love it as a Jets fan. (laughs) (laughs) It is a huge reach in my mind. I have him as a a fringe, a fringe round two, round three type of player. Uh, I understand that he he had uh, bone marrow surgery before the 2019 season, and maybe it took him a little bit to kind of get that strength back by the end of the year. But I, I don't know. There was just there wasn't a lot to really love about him. So get taking him at 18, especially when a guy like Josh Jones is on the board, who I, who I feel like has a lot more potential, especially as a pass protector. Um, I think it was just the wrong pick to make. Damon Arnett, 
you mentioned it, he has a lot of baggage with him, and which kind of surprises me like, as to why Mayock would take it because you, I feel like the notion out there with Mayock is that he loves guys that are high character, and that doesn't seem – I'm not going to act like I have all, like everything on our net. I don't have the book to him, but it doesn't seem like that's – that's like the bill that Arnett fits. And as for the 20th pick, you got Caleb on chase on goes to the Jaguars. They team him up with Josh Allen. They're moving on from Ngakwe. I think it's a great pick. Uh, you're not, you're not taking chase on for what he did at LSU. You're taking him based on the traits. His traits should translate to the NFL. He has great speed, great bend, uh, bendability off the edge. I think he's going to get a lot more than two and a half, three sacks, whatever he got at LSU at the next level. I, I really like the pick for them. And we get to number 21, and this is where things get interesting. We said that the Eagles let CeeDee Lamb slip through their fingers and into the clutches of Jerry Jones. At 21, they get Jalen Ragor. So that was a big surprise because everybody figured, okay, they let CeeDee Lamb get to the Cowboys. They're going to get Justin Jefferson at 21, so it won't feel that bad. Instead, they go with Rigor over Jefferson. Now, I don't hate the choice of Rigor over Jefferson. I know there are a lot of people that did. I like Rigor a lot, and I don't love Jefferson the way that some other people do, but I still can't help feel like as much as I like Rigor, if they could have just traded up a couple of spots, it would have been worth it because CeeDee Lamb is that much better. But Rigor will certainly help them and give Carson Wentz a real threat to throw the ball to in the vertical passing game. Justin Jefferson goes to the Vikings, so he'll replace Stefan Diggs. That passing game continues to churn. I like that one there. And then Kenneth Murray, this is an interesting one. The Patriots trade out of this spot, which is typical Bill Belichick. The Chargers jump back up from the second round and grab Murray, who I think is one of the best inside linebackers in this draft. So that's a good value pick there at number 23. Chris, what do you think? Jalen Ragor over Justin Jefferson. Jefferson to the Vikings to give Cousins a replacement weapon for Stephen Diggs. And then Kenneth Murray with the Chargers jumping up and taking that Patriots pick. It just seems like Bill Belichick hates making picks sometimes, doesn't it? He just loves to collect them. Oh, he that he absolutely loves to collect the picks. He But Belichick thrives in those you know, second, third rounds. That's that's what he loves to do. Get a bunch of them. So that that made all the sense. Them trading out didn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson not going to the Eagles shocked me. That was one of those things when you know first people first start uh, doing mock drafts, and I start taking a look. I just kept seeing it, and it made all the sense in the world. And and I think it just was just like, yep, this is going to happen. And I didn't really give it any more thought. So it surprised me a little bit. I would have gone with Justin Jefferson, especially with the Eagles there. I think that would have been good. Um, and I think Jefferson will be a great fit with Minnesota. I really like him. Uh, the Kenneth Murray thing, I I like Kenneth Murray. But I, I would have gone, if I'm looking at an inside linebacker there, I would have gone with Patrick Queen. Um, but it makes sense, uh, you know, if you can get – Derwin James healthy, uh, the rest of that defense they with Bosa and Ingram, they, they got some players there, so that defense can be really good, and they really need Derwin James to get healthy there. But it, it was a little, you know, not Justin Jefferson not going to Philly threw me off a little bit, and I, I think it's just because, like I said, I, I've had it set in my head for so long that I thought that that would just made all the sense in the world. 
Um, I could have, like we said, I could have easily seen them trying to trade up for one of those top guys. But if they stayed put and Justin Jefferson was still there, I would have thought that would have been it. Caesar Ruiz goes at number 24 to the Saints. The rich get richer. I absolutely love that pick. Caesar Ruiz is one of my favorite players in this draft. I think he's going to be a 10-year starter, probably go to a bunch of Pro Bowls. As Jordan Reed said when he came on the podcast, a sandbox bully, a culture changer, just the guy that brings an attitude to that offensive line, and that is a perfect fit there for the Saints. He could play center or guard. Brandon Ayuk goes number 25 to the 49ers who trade up from their spot to get up and get Minnesota's pick. Minnesota's first pick was the pick that they had gotten from the Buffalo Bills in the Diggs trade. So the Niners pass on the receiver early in order to get Javon Kinlaw, and here they end up getting Brandon Ayuk, who stays on the West Coast from Arizona State. And then how about this? The Green Bay Packers trade up to get Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State. So it looks like Aaron Rodgers has an heir apparent. I'm not so sure how happy he's going to be about that, especially considering what went down with him and Brad Favre. You wonder if he treats it a little bit differently than Favre did. Favre wanted nothing to do with mentoring him. Is that the way that Aaron Rodgers is going to be? Is he going to see Love as a threat to his job, somebody who's going to try and shove him out the door? Or is he going to put his arm around him and tutor him and mentor him? But Clayton, I want to see if you agree with me on this. I like the Cesar Ruiz pick a lot. I like the Ayuk pick too, just because I like the Niners getting aggressive and getting a vertical threat for that passing game that they really needed. And Jordan Love is interesting. Look, he's a developmental quarterback in the sense that I don't think that he's going to be ready to start year one anyway. So you sit him behind Rodgers. Maybe he learns. We do this the old school way where he sits for two years or so and then takes the reins. But it's an interesting pick without a doubt. Yeah, and with the Saints, I really like that pick. Uh, Cesar Ruiz going to the Saints. They don't really have a need on the offensive line right now. They have Larry Warford, who you would think would be the, the, he would be replacing him. Um, I don't know if they trade him or if they just go one more year with him before he's a free agent. It does surprise me though because the Saints and not they're not built for like a win now. They're built for like long term success because they have so many good young players. But you'd think they want to do everything they can to get Drew Brees that one last Super Bowl before he does retire. So I was thinking it was going to be like Patrick Queen or maybe a receiver here. Uh, But I I think taking Cesar Ruiz is still a great pick. Uh, I think he'll be a solid maybe 10-year player like you mentioned. And him and Eric McCoy on the inside with Ryan Gramchek on the right side, a tackle, it's going to be an amazing trio for a very long time for this uh, franchise. They move on to the Niners, and Brandon Ayuk just went, uh, just got drafted there. They passed on CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and all those guys. But I'm actually reading a quote now that Kyle Shanahan said that Ayuk was actually his favorite receiver in the class. So not only did they replace Buckner with Javon Kinlaw, who's arguably the best interior t- uh, tackle in the, uh, in the draft, they also get their favorite receiver in the draft at 25. So – I mean, I'm not as big of a fan of Ayuk as he is. Obviously, <laughs> I think I have a, I think I had a late two on him. But just think of that offense with Shanahan putting Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk with that running game with Greg uh, George Kittle. 
they're going to have so much fun. I, I can't wait to watch that offense because I is kind of like Samuel in a way where he's just a yak monster. Like he's going to get so many yards after the catch. It's going to be so much fun. And then you got the last pick, as you mentioned, Jordan Love going to the Packers. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> I guess that's the only way I can put it. It's going to be interesting because I don't see Aaron Rodgers as the type to want, like, want a mentor. Uh, he, he can kind of be like Phil Rivers in that way where he doesn't want to mentor the, the, like the young guy. But I don't know if he's really going to have a choice, and he might just have to do the Brett Favre where he kind of he, he has a job for the next two years or so, and then either retires or he can force his way out. That, that's going to be so interesting to watch over the next couple of years. I was looking for some drama, and the Packers provided us some. So thank you, Green Bay. At number 27, the Seattle Seahawks with their yearly tradition of picking a guy that nobody on earth expected them to pick at number 27, Jordan Brooks, the linebacker out of Texas Tech that feels very much like that Rashad Penny pick from a couple of years ago. Patrick Queen goes to the Baltimore Ravens, the linebacker from LSU. Chris, you actually made a comment on Twitter that that was the most Ravens pick that you could ever imagine. And then at number 29, Isaiah Wilson, the tackle from Georgia, who I like but I think is a little high here in the first round. I would have thought at most he's a mid-second rounder, but he gets pushed up into the first round. He goes to the Titans where presumably he will slot right in to take over for Jack Conklin, who left via free agency to go sign with the Browns. So, Chris, what do you think here? Jordan Brooks at 27 to Seattle. Patrick Queen, who you said is the most Ravens pick you can imagine, at number 28 to the Ravens. And then Isaiah Wilson at 29 to the Titans. Yeah, with the Seahawks. The Seahawks at first round, you know they're going to do one of two things. They're going to trade out or they're going to pick somebody that nobody thought they would pick. That's that's the Seahawks' uh, MO. That's how they roll, and they did not disappoint this time. Uh, yeah, I, I, with the Patrick Queen thing, I tweeted, uh, Raven's going to Raven, and then I immediately followed that up with, you know, normally you say that in a negative light about somebody, like whenever someone said Jet's going to Jet, it's normally a bad thing. But in this instance, yeah, Raven's going to Raven. They get Patrick Queen, perfect player for the Ravens. Makes all the sense in the world. I, I absolutely love him. I love that pick for them. And the Ravens just do what they do. It, it doesn't matter who's in charge anymore. Ozzie Newsom trained them right because they just continue getting those types of players. Um, and then Isaiah Wilson, you nailed it right there with – I just think that's – uh, similar to, um, you know, the 49ers letting uh, Forrest Buckner, trading him away and then replacing him with Kinlaw. And the Titans said, all right, we're just going to get a Jack Conklin replacement and it's going to be a whole lot cheaper. So that made sense too. Uh, I, I'm with you. It's a little higher than I would have liked, but you want to tackle, you got, you're going to have to pay that price there. So it makes sense that they did that. All three of those picks make sense, including the Seahawks pick, because it makes sense for not making sense. At number 30, the Dolphins end up getting Noah, and I cannot pronounce this, but this was the pick that they got when they traded down from the Packers, who jumped up to take Jordan Love. He's the cornerback from Auburn. Clayton, maybe you'll have better luck with pronouncing his last name because I'm not even going to try. At 31, the Vikings got your guy, Jeff Gladney from TCU. 
I thought he was going to go a little bit higher. You actually thought that he might slip into the second round, but he ends up going to the Vikings here. He will end up replacing Trey Waynes, who left via free agency. And then at number 32, the Chiefs get themselves a dynamic weapon, a guy that's been compared many times to Maurice Jones-Drew, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU. A lot of LSU guys going on this day, by the way. You had Joe Burrow going first overall. Then from there, you also had Kalevon Chason at number 20. You had Justin Jefferson at number 22. You had Patrick Queen at number 28. And then you finished the first round with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 32. So somewhere, Coach O was saying something that none of us could understand, but I'm sure he was very happy for his guys, right, Clayton? Yeah, I mean, coming off this national championship season, uh, they had a lot to be proud of, and I think this is just cherry on top. I mean, getting five guys in the first round, and not to mention they're going to have a few more. They still have Christian Fulton on the board. They still have Lord Cushberry, Damian Lewis, uh, uh, Sadiq Charles. They have so many players that are going to get drafted, and this is just this whole weekend is the cherry on top of what 2019 meant to that university. Uh, and going going back to those three picks uh, that capped off round one, and those are three of my favorite players. I, I, I love Clyde um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah, I'll help you out with his name. It's Noah Igbenogany. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really liked his game out of Auburn. I got onto him a little bit later, but uh, he actually ended up being uh, my cornerback number four uh, right after Jeff Gladney uh, on my big board. And Jeff Gladney just decided to go right after Igbenogany uh, at 31 to Minnesota. And I absolutely love that pick, um, especially after trading back to – so they were able to replace Stephon Diggs, Justin Jefferson. They were able to p- replace Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes with Jeff Gladney. I think the Vikings absolutely dominated this first round. And uh, I think Mike Zimmer is going to be very excited with what he gets out of those two guys. An interesting day number one. And day number two has a lot of guys that many of us thought could go In the first round, some of these guys could really be very helpful for the Jets if they fall all the way down to 48. DeAndre Swift, the running back from Georgia, I don't know that the Jets are going to pick him, nor A.J. Epinesa, because I think A.J. Epinesa is a hand-in-the-dirt defensive lineman, but those are two guys that are really interesting. And the Patriots, who traded down, Epinesa seems like he's tailor-made for them, so keep your eye on that. Xavier McKinney, the safety from Alabama, thought for sure he was going in the first. He didn't. Neville Gallimore, the defensive lineman from Oklahoma. Grant Delpit, I am stunned that he didn't go in the first round. Another LSU guy, the safety. Yutur Gross Matos, the edge rusher from Penn State. Keep your eye on him because if he makes it to 48, we know that the Jets need an edge rusher. That is somebody that you should absolutely be thinking the Jets will consider if he gets there. T. Higgins, wide receiver from Clemson, another one. Ezra Cleveland, the offensive tackle from Boise State, a bit of a project. Not so sure that the Jets are going to be looking at him anymore because they were able to get Mekhi Becton. Zach Bond, the linebacker from Wisconsin, really talented player. Josh Jones, 
I am stunned that he did not go in the first round, the offensive tackle from Houston. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if they'll do it, but if he's there at 48, I'd strongly consider taking him, and then you've got yourself two bookend tackles for the next decade as far as I'm concerned. Trevon Diggs, cornerback from Alabama, guy that could have gone in the first round. Denzel Mims, the wide receiver from Baylor, shocked he didn't go in the first round. That's another guy that if he's there at 48, I would think the Jets would be all over him. Josh Uche, the edge from Michigan, same thing that I said before. As far as edge rusher, the Jets need one. Uche is a productive one, so he's a possibility. Ashton Davis from California, the safety. Terrell Lewis, the edge rusher from Alabama. There are a ton of guys. Christian Fulton, as you mentioned. Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU. LaVisca Chenault. Tons of wide receivers. Michael Pittman Jr. So there's just a cornucopia of talent that the Jets can get themselves on day number two in round two and three, where we know they have three very valuable picks. Chris, who are some of the guys that you're looking at that you think the Jets should really zero in on on day two? Well, I'll start with, I think that it's clearly a possibility that Joe Douglas would go the cornerback or the edge route, depending on who falls. Um, one of those guys you just mentioned falls to them. I could see that. I could see if Josh Jones falls to him, him doubling up there. I highly doubt that's the case. I also doubt that uh, Lloyd Cushenberry would fall to them, but an inside guy, if they can get him, then I, I would expect that as well. But you know, you know me. You know, you know where my eyes are trained right now. And my eyes are trained on Denzel Mims, T. Higgins, uh, Michael Pittman, Lavesca Chenault, and uh, KJ Hamler right now. Th- those are the guys that I'm looking at. Those, if one of those guys is available at 48, and I'm in charge, you're gonna have. I mean, like I'm probably running straight to Roger Goodell's house <laughs> to inform him myself that uh, I I want to pick one of those guys. Clayton, what about you? Who do you like for the Jets to target on day number two? No, Chris pretty much nailed it. I'm looking at receiver. Uh, I, I really want Michael Pittman. I would love Denzel Mims. Yeah. Uh, KJ Hamler would provide some nice speed. There, there's a lot of good receivers still left. And even if they decide to pass on receiver uh, round two, they can still get a Brian Edwards, a Van Jefferson, uh, and a Devin du- uh, DuVernay in round three if they really wanted to. So if they decide to go that route, they can't. they can go corner or edge rusher in the second round. I'd prefer to, if they were going to go out, if they were going to stray away from receiver in the second round, I'd prefer to be corner or interior line because you still got names like Christian Fulton, Jalen Johnson, uh, and some other names that I'm kind of just drawing a blank on right now. Uh, Amik Robertson. There are some solid names out there to where they could kind of maybe push the receiver one more round because they do have, honestly, they don't even have to wait one more round because they can trade uh, number 68 and I don't know, a fifth and a sixth, and get right back into the second round if they really wanted to take a receiver. So there's there's so many good names left. They're only 15 picks away. They're going to get another really solid player. I forgot all about Jalen Johnson. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. If he's on the board at 48, I know Chris will get mad because he just wants offense, offense, offense. But 
if Jalen Johnson's there at 48, I'm picking him, end of story. And then I might consider doing what Clayton mentioned, which is jumping back up into the back end of the second round if there's a receiver that I like. But I just think there are a lot of really good receivers that you can get in the third and fourth round. You mentioned DeVernay as one example. And then there are some interior offensive linemen. If Lloyd Cushenberry falls to the third round, Matt Hennessy is still on the board, Nick Harris. So there are a lot of possibilities here for the Jets on day number two. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. The Jets have three very valuable picks. They could move up. They could move down. We're going to see in just a few hours. Clayton, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and recapping day number one, an exciting day for the Jets. And hopefully day number two will be just as exciting. Make sure that you follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work, and there's a ton of it up there now. Fresh stuff from the draft over at JetsInsider.com. Follow Clayton on Twitter at NFL Draft and check out his stuff at Coast to Coast Scouting. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it helps us out a lot. So if you could do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.